Hello, I'm Chris Straub. I'm reading the story Aneurysm from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. Aneurysm by Alexander Danner It's a new party game, said Norma, as she pushed a small cart into the living room. A white sheet draped over the top hid the cart's burden. Something boxy, no larger than a microwave oven. The guests all turned to watch as the little mystery was wheeled into the room, squeaking slightly, leaving a visible groove in the carpet. Norma stopped and stood. She made no move to uncover her secret, only smiled at the seven faces around her. Every guest had a fresh drink in hand and a hot hors d'oeuvre on a toothpick. Music played loudly enough to keep the room cheerful, but not so loud as to hinder conversation. And now she had piqued everyone's curiosity by wheeling out this odd little cart. Norma was an excellent hostess. And it's called Deathmatch, one of the guests asked, a florist with the unfortunate name of Melvin. That sounds awfully violent, said another. Sid said nothing, just watched quietly as the other guests responded to Norma's little show. Her entrance wasn't a huge spectacle, not like in the old days of birds and smoke. She just enhanced the presentation a bit with her dashes of secrecy and drama. Norma still had a sense of staging. Sid had to give her that. She appreciated the way a hint of anticipation can make any event even more memorable than it might have been. Sid already knew what was under the sheet. Norma had warned him of what she had planned because she knew how much he would hate it. He had tried to dissuade her, of course, but she insisted on proceeding, just as she insisted that he be there as always. They had been divorced for three years, but he still couldn't bring himself to say no to her. He never could. That's why he was 38 years old and on his third career. His second career had lasted exactly as long as his marriage and had been entirely her idea. He missed it, almost as much as he had missed her. Oh, it's not violent, Norma was saying now. Well, a little violent, sort of. You'll feel a little pinch, but it's nothing to get worked up over. The truth was, Sid adored Norma. He really did. He adored Norma, and he adored her parties, and he adored her taste in music, and her hors d'oeuvres, and all the witty conversationalists she routinely assembled for her Saturday night gatherings. And even though the romance between them had ended long ago, he still loved being in her life and having her in his. But he loathed party games, really and truly. Oh, he liked games in general. He wasn't opposed to fun and frivolity. He participated in a murder mystery party once, and thought that that was just splendid, He'd even played the role of the villain without complaint. If she'd brought up boxes of Scrabble or Trivial Pursuit, he'd have been all for it. But party game invariably meant some sort of getting-to-know-you game. Truth or dare, I never, packing your desert island luggage. The sorts of games that only had two outcomes. Either they stayed entirely superficial, boring, or they probed into deeply intimate information, humiliating. Knowing that Melvin's three favorite CDs included David Hasselhoff's greatest hits didn't make Sid feel like he really knew Melvin any better. Neither did knowing that Melvin had once had sex with his cousin's boyfriend's sister in a glass elevator. But Sid had learned both of these facts about Melvin at a previous gathering. And as much as Sid hated these games, Norma loved them. So here he was, getting ready to play again. So, Norma taunted, isn't anyone going to guess? Stop teasing, said Vince, Norma's latest boyfriend. Let's see what you've got under there. It's no fun staring at a bedsheet. Vince was a banker with no appreciation for showmanship. Living with Norma meant living in suspense, always and forever. 
Sid suspected Vince wouldn't be around much longer. Sid, of course, was perfectly happy to keep staring at the bedsheet, absently thumbing the thin slip of paper in his pocket. He had no interest in playing the game, but he very much enjoyed seeing an audience toyed with. He enjoyed the show, so he was disappointed when Norma gave in easily, rather than drawing out the suspense. "'You're such a poop, Vince,' she said as she did what he asked, taking the corners of the sheet between her fingers. At least she still put a flourish into the process, whipping the sheet dramatically from the cart and snapping it over her head, nearly overturning a vase of tulips on top of the TV. The audience let out a satisfactory gasp. They all recognized the machine, of course. They'd seen it on television and in movies. They'd seen it in doctor's offices and pharmacies. Some of them had even used one. But still, it was strange to see it sitting on a rolling cart in their friend's living room. Is that what I think it is? Melvin asked, refusing to believe what was already obvious. That depends, said Norma. Do you think it's a machine of death? Yes? Then yes, that's exactly what you think it is. She grinned devilishly in her satisfaction at having so befuddled her guests. You paid for that? Vince appeared horrified at the very concept, his eyes bugging out like an old cartoon. Well, I certainly didn't steal it. Those must go for thousands of dollars. I have a friend in the company. He let me buy it at cost. That still couldn't have been cheap. Oh, Vince, she said, cutting off the line of conversation. Stop being dull. Don't you realize how much fun we're going to have? It'll be worth it, I promise. With that, she began unwinding the power cord that hung from the back of the machine, pulling it towards a free outlet near the TV. Once it was plugged in, she flipped the switch to turn it on. A small fan revved up to full speed. The internal workings clicked and popped as a fresh needle was loaded. A little red light turned into a little green light. The machine was ready to dispense party-time fun and pithy little visions of the future. Norma giggled her delight. So you're just going to give us our death readings? asked the same woman who had questioned the game's name earlier. Lottie, that was her name. Sid had only met her once before, but he was sure her name was Lottie. I've already done that. Well, don't tell what your reading was yet. That comes later. Getting the reading is just the first part. The real game is guessing whose death is whose. Can you guess how I'm going to die? Can I guess how you're going to die? That's the game. That's deathmatch. Isn't that a gas? I love it, said Melvin. Yeah, okay, said Lottie. I'd do that. I'm not playing, said Marie. Like Sid, Marie was a restaurant critic though this provided precious little common ground. For instance, Sid held that Norma served consistently excellent hors d'oeuvres at her cocktail parties, and even better food at her dinner parties. She made everything from scratch, never once served frozen wieners or potato puffs. He had shopped with her. She knew quality, knew her ingredients, paired the right cheeses with the right fruits and the right wines. He offered input where he could, but he wasn't actually needed. He found no fault at all. Whereas he had more than once overheard Marie belittling Norma's culinary talents to other guests. The cheeses were too sharp, the fruits overripe, the wines improperly poured. She'd even once tried to include Sid in her conspiratorial condescension. Sid and Marie hadn't spoken much since then. Tonight, though, Marie's was precisely the reaction Sid was hoping for. If enough people objected to the machine's morbid prognostications, then Norma would have to give up, and the evening could pass without a party game. This one time, at least. You know, there's nothing to be afraid of, Marie, Vince said. These machines are so cryptic, they don't really mean anything. 
Well, they sort of do, said Jorge, Norma's oldest friend from her college days, but only in hindsight. By then, who cares? Oh, I know, said Marie. It's not that. I just don't like needles. Oh, please, Vince chided. I can't stand when people say that. You realize nobody actually likes needles, right? Well, yes, of course. You don't want people to think you're antisocial, do you? I'm not anti... I'm not playing either, broke in Bettany, the last of the evening's guests and a new face in the group. According to Norma, Bettany was a professional mountain climber. Sid had no idea how she'd fallen in with this crowd of devout indoorsmen. Vince sighed ostentatiously. And what's your excuse? Well, mostly I'd just like for everyone to think I'm antisocial. I can't help it. It's my natural response to juvenile peer pressure. You know how it is, high school flashbacks and all. Sid stifled a chuckle. It seemed that Bettany didn't like Vince any more than Sid did. Murray, you don't have to play, Norma said. But if you do decide to play, I promise you won't even see the needle. It's hidden away inside the machine. You just put your finger in and it feels like barely more than a mosquito bite. And that's it. But you don't have to play, really. Marie sighed. Norma meant it when she said Marie didn't have to play. Marie knew it. And Sid knew it and everyone else knew it. But still, nobody liked to disappoint Norma. It broke her heart when her guests didn't like her games. How about this, Marie said finally. I'll play if Sid plays. Sid snorted. Oh, it was a clever tactic on Marie's part. It put the onus of disappointing Norma on Sid instead of Marie. And she knew how Sid felt about party games, too. She knew he'd be hard-pressed to resist an opportunity to derail his least favorite pastime. Clever tactic or not, though, it was a bad play this time. Sid's playing, Norma said with a triumphant grin. He already promised. Marie gave Sid a desperate look. It's true, he said. She cornered me last week and twisted my arm. What could I do? You could have said no, if only. Sorry, he said. I have weak arms. And with that, all resistance died, and everyone agreed to play. I'll go first, said Melvin as he popped out of his chair and approached the machine. With no hesitation at all, he stuck his finger into the machine's orifice, punched the button, and gave a little laugh when the needle stuck him. It kind of tickles then waited as the machine processed his blood and loaded a new needle. It spat out a slip of paper just like an ATM receipt. You can read your own if you want, Norma instructed, but don't tell anyone else what it says. Then fold it in half and drop it in the hat. Somehow Sid hadn't noticed the hat. It was on a second shelf on the cart underneath the machine. It was a black felt top hat, a perfect gimmick for a game like this. But Sid recognized it immediately. It had once been his. It was just a straight hat with no hidden pockets or secret compartments. But still, it gave him a pang of nostalgia for their time on the stage. He hadn't known she'd still had it. But he was glad. It was encouraging, in a way. He put one hand in his pocket, touched the paper he had hidden there. Melvin dropped his death into the hat. Vince went next, making a show of what a good sport he was and how not afraid of needles he was but winced visibly when the needle stuck him. Sid rolled his eyes for Bettany's benefit, and she stuck out her tongue in agreement. Marie was third, eager to have the unpleasantness done with. She closed her eyes and inserted her finger into the machine. The color left her face when she pushed the button, and for a moment, Sid thought she might faint. But she stayed upright as she hurriedly tossed her death into the hat and returned to the couch, where she sat sucking the injured finger. 
Sid went next. The needle really did feel like a mosquito bite, though he wouldn't have said it tickled. When the machine spat out his death, he didn't bother to read it. He already knew how he was going to die. He had all the documentation. He'd seen the CT scan. He folded his death in half and dropped the slip of paper into the hat. Thank you, said Norma. No, he replied. Thank you. She looked at him quizzically, but he said nothing else, just put his hands in his pockets and returned to the other side of the room. The remaining partygoers all took their turns until there were eight folded slips of paper in the hat. Norma was delighted and favored everyone with a big smile. Okay, she said. Here are the rules. One. One death will be drawn from the hat at a time. Two. We'll all debate whose death we think it is and why. Three. Debate ends once everyone has officially cast a vote. Four. Players earn one point for each correct vote. No points for guessing your own. Five. No death's owner will be revealed until all deaths have been voted on. Is everyone clear? Any questions? There were no questions. So she reached into the hat and drew the first death. Oh, good, we're off to an interesting start. The first death is landslide. That's easy, Melvin chirped without hesitation. It's Bettany. Mountain climbers get killed in avalanches all the time. Not all the time, and besides, it was landslide, not avalanche. Same thing. No, they're not, Jorge said. Avalanches are snow and ice. Landslides require, obviously, land, and that means dirt and rock. So then it's probably you, said Vince, gesturing in Jorge's direction. How do you figure? You do construction. Construction means excavation. Excavation leads to landslides. Jorge frowned. I'm not a construction worker. Aren't you? I'm an architect, Vince. I design buildings. I don't build them myself. I work in an office. I even wear a tie sometimes if that helps your mental image. Vince held Jorge's gaze but said nothing. But don't you ever inspect a construction site? Lottie asked. Or go to watch something you've designed getting built. How can you resist? Vince finally shrugged and looked back at the rest of the group, though Sid caught his petulant eye roll. Okay, I do visit sites sometimes, Jorge said, returning to the game. But that's not where I work. But the risk is there, said Marie. More than on a mountaintop, anyway. Sure, I guess. Any other theories? Norma asked after debate dropped for a few moments. Okay, then it's time to lodge your votes. Vince, Bettany, and Marie voted for Jorge. Jorge, Melvin, Lottie, and Norma voted for Bettany. Sid voted for Vince. You were supposed to argue your theory before the voting, Norma scolded. I don't have a theory, Sid replied. I just think it'd be funny. Ha! Vince said flatly. Norma scowled at Sid, but he just shrugged. I'm playing your game, aren't I? What do you want? Okay, she said as she reached into the hat again. Our next death is... Hunting accident. Oh, that one's Lottie, Sid said without hesitation. But I'm a vegetarian. So? So I wouldn't go hunting in the first place which is precisely why it would be so satisfyingly ironic. Jorge raised an eyebrow at Sid. So what you're saying is the less likely it is that a person will die in a particular way, then the more likely it is that that's precisely how they'll die? Well, not so much more likely as more entertaining. That sounds about right to me, said Bettany. Put my vote down for Lottie. 
Hey. Seriously, though, Marie asked, does anyone here hunt? All heads shook in the negative. I went once when I was a kid, said Jorge, but I hated it. Then it's obvious, said Melvin. Bethany spends the most time out in the wild. She's the one most likely to get shot accidentally. You already voted for me to get killed in a landslide. I can't die twice. No, but I can vote for you twice. One of them has to be right. You can do that, said Norma. But we all get to make fun of you for being wishy-washy. Agreed? Agreed, said Melvin. As long as I get my points, I'm happy. I'm voting for Vince, said Marie. He's the person most likely to have to do something stupid to appease a rich client. I'll buy that, said Jorge. Norma took count of votes again, with two votes going to Lottie, two to Bettany, and four to Vince, including Norma's. Actually, she said with a wink to Melvin, I think Bettany is more likely, but I already gave her landslide and I wouldn't want to be wishy-washy. After hunting accident came tainted beef. Debate was brief, and the votes divided evenly between Sid and Marie, the two restaurant critics. After tainted beef came drunk driver. This was followed by an awkward silence as everyone avoided looking at Jorge, except for Vince, who said, Well, obviously that's Jorge. Norma gave Vince her most lethal scowl, but Jorge just shrugged. You can vote for me if you want to. I don't care. I'm sober. I've been sober for three years, and I don't even own a car. I promise you that's not how I die. Besides, it says drunk driver, not drunk driving. Whoever it is is the victim, not the culprit. Ultimately, three votes went to Jorge, three to Marie, and two to Vince. After drunk driver came radiation. But we all live so close together, said Lottie. If there's some sort of nuclear accident, shouldn't we all die of radiation? Maybe it doesn't happen for a long time, Melvin suggested. Maybe only the last of us is still alive when the meltdown happens. Or someone could go on vacation to some place that has a reactor, Norma offered. Jorge disagreed. There's no reactor. There's no bomb. It's nothing nuclear at all. The machine's just being coy. There's always radiation. Solar radiation, electromagnetic radiation, microwaves, radio waves, whatever. A lot of them cause cancer. That's the death here. It's just cancer. So then it's Bettany, said Melvin. She spends the most time outside, so she probably gets skin cancer. Jeez, you sure are eager to kill me off, aren't you? It's not my fault you leave a conspicuously dangerous life. I don't see how any of us is more likely to die of cancer than the others, said Jorge. I say we just vote for the person on our left, and then we all get an equal number of votes. In that case, I say we all vote for Jorge, said Sid. Seconded, said Bettany. So everyone voted for Jorge, including Jorge, just to be a good sport. You should be careful, Sid, Norma said. You almost seem like you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> Maybe just this once, he said. And he actually sort of was, just this once. Norma reached into the hat once more and pulled out the next death. She unfolded the paper and read it. She opened her mouth, but said nothing. Norma, what's wrong? Vince asked. What does it say? asked Melvin. She looked up again. She looked at Sid. She pressed her lips tightly together in a look that most of the guests would confuse for worry, but Sid knew it was pure irritation. It says, party game mishap. Everyone was silent. Then Lottie. I don't get it. Melvin. It means someone could die right now, playing this game. Marie. 
How? Melvin. I don't think I want to know. Lottie. Right now? Jorge. But that doesn't even make sense. Vince. It never makes sense. Melvin. Maybe the machine electrocutes one of us. Lottie. I don't want anyone to die. Bettany. Whose is it? Melvin. Or maybe, I don't know, it could be anything. Jorge. I know the machine likes to be vague and cryptic. Bettany. It's Sid, isn't it? Lottie. I wouldn't want to see it happen. Vince. Nobody's going to die. Jorge. But they always at least sound lethal. What's lethal about a party game mishap? That's not cryptic. That's the machine actively thumbing its nose at us. Melvin. Machine can do what it wants. I'm done. Bettany. It must be Sid. He hates these games. Lottie. I don't want to play anymore. And finally, Norma. I think the game is over. She folded up the slip of paper and dropped it back into the hat. The hat went back onto its shelf under the machine. The machine was turned off and unplugged. All through this process, Norma never took her eyes off Sid. She understood what he'd done, of course. That was obvious. And it was a stupidly simple trick, just a bit of palming. The only challenge was forging the death prediction. Fortunately, she had warned him about the game days beforehand. She'd be kicking herself for paying him that kindness for a long time, he suspected. But she wouldn't tell the others. She wouldn't reveal what he'd done or how he'd done it. She'd been a magician's assistant for too many years, at least until she broke up the act and they'd both retired. But she still knew the code. She still believed in the code. Sid's real death was safely hidden in his pocket. When he arrived home, he would take it out and read the single word printed there. But it held no surprises, just confirmed what he already knew. He could die that very night, or he could live another ten years. You could never tell with these sorts of things. But he'd never have to play another stupid party game for as long as he lived, however brief that might be. For more stories about the Machine of Death, visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like, but please don't sell it. I'm Chris Straub, and you can see my website at chrisstraub.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>